All right, hey, church family, take your Bibles, turn to John 17 is where we're going to be. We continue our series called The Year of the Bible. I want to say hello to the other uh, campuses in the 828 and uh, also the folks that are watching online. Let me give a special shout out to a few folks that are watching uh, this service online. We've got Cindy from Myrtle Beach. Uh, Cindy, we've got a great church uh, for you that's launching in about two months called Coastway Church, a uh, church plant that we're helping with uh, starting real soon. So thanks for tuning in today. Dean from from, uh, Miami, and then uh, Janet from Orlando, the land of the mouse. We are, uh, thank you very much for joining in. Why don't you give them a big round of applause for joining in from out of town. All right, let me uh, also echo what hopefully has already been said again. Thanks for uh, just Biltmore Church Love Schools tw- over the last few weeks, 24 schools, uh, 1,300 plus uh, backpacks, tons of other supplies, uh, beautification, helping our schools get ready for uh, what I guess is promising to be another unusual fall as well. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. And God has sent us. A lot of places. He sent us, obviously, to Ecuador. He sent us to Southeast Asia. He sent us to plant churches in places like uh, Myrtle Beach and like Atlanta and and campuses around Western North Carolina. Uh, But when it says, seek the welfare of the community that you're in. And so if we don't do it here, uh, we can do it all over the other places, but this is at least where it begins. And so a great, great job on that. And it actually raises a question that goes into the text today, and that is this. Is could could what you do how you affect, how you treat other people actually make a difference in the way that God treats you. In other words, could your horizontal relationships with other people actually impact your experience of the vertical relationship with God? Now, we're a gospel-centered church. We talk about that all the time. We talk about, you know what, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So your first response very easily could be, no, it's not. It's all about what Jesus has done. It's not about all the other people. It's about what Jesus has done, and that's it. I'm bought with a price. You talk about that all the time, and and that is true. But could it be that actually the way that you treat your brothers and sisters makes a difference in the way that you experience the vertical relationship with God your Father? An illustration might help. So we had two boys, as you know, we have two boys. And so when they're growing up, uh, we had some expectations, some family expectations on how they treated us as their parents and how they treated each other as siblings. Now, there's nothing they could have ever done or ever do that would make them not my son any longer. There's nothing they could have ever done or ever do that would make me not love them. They're always going to be my sons. But we had some clear-cut expectations on this is the way that you treat each other. I mean, for example, if one of them had a friend over and the other one, the younger one, wanted to play, I know the older one doesn't think that's real cool, but it's like, all right, let the younger one go in there and play. And if he doesn't, and if he kind of shuns him or makes fun of him, then guess what? When, when Pop gets home, when Dad gets home, there was going to be, I'm still going to love him, but he's going to see a different side of me. Or, for example, let's say we go to a candy store or go to a movie and get the popcorn. And I hand uh, the older one some popcorn and say, share it with your younger brother. And he doesn't. Will that impact the way that I then give him some more popcorn? I will have to explain to him then, you know what? You are not the owner of that popcorn, okay? All you are as a 12-year-old is you are a steward of that popcorn. And if you don't remember that, 
I'm going to show you by taking that popcorn away and giving it to your younger brother. Believe it or not, what you see in this text today is, and it's overwhelming how relevant this is to where we are as a church. And when I say church, by the way, today there's more big C church than I can ever remember preaching. Most of the time we're talking about you and our church, but today, most of the time we're talking about the big C church because a lot of what we're looking at today as I reflected this week on this passage, God has been so gracious to us, particularly over the last like 35 years or so. So little sideways activity. Now COVID has pressed that, right? COVID has kind of brought the crazy out in all of us. But for the most part, it's been, you know what? Going the same direction, holding hands, walking with the same purpose, Things like build more church love schools. We got a cool deal called Heroes Week that'll be coming up in the fall. How do we honor the heroes in Western North Carolina, the ones that have been serving us throughout this pandemic? But the whole thing is this. We're gonna look at a text today that's often referred to as the high priestly prayer. The last section of the prayer on the last night of his life, he actually prays regarding, check this out, he prays regarding the relational behavior of his future sons and daughters, that's us. The last six verses he prays for people who will believe in the future 2,000 years ago, I'm gonna pray for my sons and daughters who come to faith in Jesus, come to repentance, I'm gonna pray for them. And what he prays specifically is the relational expectations. And here's what he's gonna say. He is gonna say that the relational unity what is at stake in the relational unity of his sons and daughters is nothing short of the glory of God, the name of Jesus, and the advancement of the gospel. So that's all introduction. John chapter 17, starting in verse 20, he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking, to, he's talking specifically to his 11 disciples. Judas is already gone. His 11 disciples. I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their word. And here we are 2,000 years later. That's what has happened. What is he going to pray? And this is the phrase that's used throughout the first few verses. That they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us. Why, why, what difference is that gonna make? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now don't misunderstand here. I mean, Jesus is he's praying for the believers. He's praying for his church, big C. He's praying for the sons and daughters. And you're like, man, he's, why isn't he praying for the world? Doesn't Jesus care about the world? Jesus cares about the world. Jesus came so that the world could be saved through him, John 3, 17. The word world is mentioned 21 times, I think, just in this prayer. But what he understands, obviously, and what he is trying to get across to us and what his prayer was to his father was that the hope of the world is his church. His plan A for getting the gospel out into the communities is the church and the church's effectiveness is di directly based on are they going in the same direction? 
Think about when you're on an airplane if you're a parent. I mean, I remember the first time you hear, first time you hear this, you're like, what's wrong with that? Remember the flight attendant comes on and she's, you know, she or he's like, hey, listen to me, we've got these safety things. And what do they say? They go through all of this thing. If pressure in the cabin drops, this mask will come down and put the mask over your mouth and nose and breathe normally. Right, like that's actually going to happen. But you're going to try to breathe normally. But the part that always kind of throws you until you understand the big picture is they say this. If you are traveling with a child or someone who requires assistance, secure your mask first and then assist the other person. Now, if you're a parent, every, every instinct says, no, I'm gonna save my child first. But what they know is, listen, if you as a parent, if you're knocked out, not only can you not help yourself, you can't help your child either. And so it's like, you get healthy and the healthier you are, then you can actually assist some other people who are dependent on you. And loved ones, what he says here is the number, A unified gospel-centered church is like the hope of a community. It's the hope of the community. I understand some of you watching and some of you in the rooms today, you're like, you know what, I got hurt at church. I haven't been back to church in 10 years or I'm just watching online because last time I was at church, all I saw were a bunch of hypocrites or I saw deacon so-and-so or pastor such-and-such. And you know what? I saw them in the community and they didn't act like what you guys talk about all the time. And my answer to that is, uh, yeah, that's, that's correct. You're going to see some hypocrisy in the church. Jesus actually knew there were some hypocrites that he was with right then. I mean, think about who he, think about who he was in the room with when he prayed this prayer. I mean, Judas had already left. Peter was going to betray him. It wasn't but hours earlier that James and John, while he's washing their feet, they're arguing about who can be to be vice president of Jesus Enterprises. Even Thomas, who's in there, he's not even sure he's going to believe pretty soon. And so the problem with the church and the problem with any church, Big C or our church as well, the problem with that is the church is full of a bunch of sinners. That's the problem. And the problem with the church full of a bunch of sinners is sinners is, you know, sinners sin. Sinners sin. Now, that's not meant to be an excuse for you and I to just be unrepentant, but we got to keep in mind the church is not a museum of a bunch of perfect saints. It is a hospital full of a bunch of sick, healed, but still being healed people. And so I'm sorry if you, I'm I'm sorry if you've been hurt in the church. There is no perfect church. The friction is always going to be not looking at a church and being self-righteous because bottom line, once you're a part of a church and you are a sinner as well, you're going to mess the whole thing up as well. That's why we go back to the gospel over and over and over and over again. So look at the way he ends the prayer. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be, and here's the same phrase again, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Says it again, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know and these know that you have sent me. And here's the way he ends it. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So he's going to say that the picture of 
a church that's unified is actually a theological one first. It's like, you know what, it's a picture of, you know what, the Father and the Son. Father, we talked last week, we talked about a very mysterious and yet biblically clear theological understanding called the Trinity. The Trinity is God as one being that exists in three distinct co-equal persons, unified in essence, but distinct in personality. Here's the reason you got to understand that, is unity is not uniformity. A lot of times churches down through the ages have tried to get uniformity. Everybody act and looked exactly the same. And that's not what he's saying. The Father is distinct from the Son. The Son is distinct from the Father. We talked about that last week. But it is unity. Unity means oneness, but it doesn't mean sameness. Unity is what happens when unique individuals grab hands together and go in the same direction. Let me give you a couple of examples, like, uh, like an orchestra. When you say that orchestra is unified, it doesn't mean they're all playing the same instrument. It means they're all playing different instruments, but at the same time, they're on one piece of music. They're going in the same direction. All right, football's kicking off right now. And so when you look at a football game, you don't sit there and see a bunch of people all play in the same position. Not everybody's a quarterback. Not everybody's a tight end. But a football team has all these different positions, and yet they have the same goal in mind. And so the closer they get, the tighter they get, the more unified they get, then the stronger they are. And what you have here and what you have teaching in this one is, listen, we have, we've got a bunch of different people in this room. We've got a bunch of different people at Biltmore Church. There's somewhere around 10,000 members. There's 10,000 unique stories. We've got everything from PhDs to not even doing the GED yet. We've got people who are barely at the poverty level. We've got people who have great means. We have people of, I don't know how many different races and ethnic origins. We've got all of this. And the question is, is the gospel and is Jesus the unifying factor? What they call this in like, I don't know, science world is an emulsifier. An emulsifier is things, is something that takes two things that typically don't go together and then brings them together. It's like some of y'all like mayonnaise. Mayonnaise, you know, they say oil and water doesn't mix. Oil and water don't mix. And that's, that's true unless you have an emulsifier. And so in mayonnaise, you got soybean oil and you got water. Normally they would say, I want nothing to do with you. But you take an emulsifier, which in mayonnaise is eggs, and put that there, and the egg then brings these two diametrically opposed entities together and say, you're not going to go your direction. You're not going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to bring you guys together because our common goal is mayonnaise. And when you look at a church, you've got all these different kinds of background stories, educations, incomes, political parties, etc. And the gospel is the one thing that is supposed to be the emulsifier and bring us together. Now, D.A. Carson puts it this way. He said, the gospel by its very nature forms community. He said, the church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income level, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. He said, Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Now, what we have to understand, for Western North Carolina, our context, 
our context where God has sovereignly put us, the world needs a church that is more passionate about Jesus and the gospel than we are about non-essential matters. I'm not saying we can't be passionate about other things. I'm not saying what your politics or platform or personality is, is not important. I'm not saying that you don't need to speak up. What I'm saying is the fact that the world needs a church that says my allegiance first and foremost is to Jesus and the gospel before it is to anything else. Now there's a, uh, I found it kind of funny. There was a saying that I've always loved and I just went, I had forgotten exactly how it went, so I looked it up this week, and I've used it before, but here's basically what it says. But the point is somewhat humorous and sad all at the same time. The saying that goes back hundreds of years says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. Sometimes it's translated in all things, love. That's a great saying. It really is. So I looked it up. I was like, I'm going to remind everybody that, in, you know, in essentials, this is where we are. In non-essentials, man, show some grace and give some space. In all things, show charity. And as I looked it up, do you know that there's actually an argument? Christians are arguing over who wrote this. Some are like, oh, it's Augustine. And somebody else is like, no, it's this German philosopher. And they're actually arguing over a non-essential thing in front of a watching world over a saying that says in non-essentials, give liberty. So what are the essentials? I mean, the essentials are things like the person and work of Jesus, like the way of salvation, like chapter and verse in context, particular commands. The Bible says we need to be very strong. We need to hold those very tightly. The book of Galatians chapter one says, listen, hey, Galatians, you guys, have, you guys have gotten so far into left field, you're not even in the gospel anymore. So there are times. It's like, listen, that is not even the, that's not even in the realm of, you've gotten beyond this. This is an essential thing. And there are times to do that. There's obviously times to speak the truth in love. But then you've got Paul and Philippians saying, you know what? There's some preachers out there. They might not have the best motive. They might have different methodologies. But bottom line, if Jesus is being preached, I'm going to rejoice. And so uh, when it comes to uh, kind of where our, the church is right now, particularly in the West, what divides the church right now? Most of the time, I would just say, loved ones, it's not essential stuff. It's not. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Most of the time, just go, take a quick perusal on Facebook. Take a, take a, take a quicker perusal on uh, Twitter, all right, at your, at your own peril. But just as you go there, you go, what happens? What happens? What are the arguments over? Essentials? Typically not. Non-essentials. So what are the two non-essentials? Now, listen, I didn't say not important, so don't email me. I didn't say not important. I just said not essential when it comes to being a Christ follower. Not essential. Number one would be preferences. Just personal preferences. Preferences are things that I prefer. And nothing wrong with that. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to debate about it. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. The Bible says speak the truth in love. There's a bunch of those things. But here's what you have to understand with some degree of humility. Your opinions do not equal God's commandments. Your opinions do not equal God's commandments. Your preferences do not equal God's precepts. 
And so you're like, I prefer this and I prefer that. That's fine to prefer it. Just don't raise it up to the level of a essential matter. Um, Verse 23 is basically saying our witness is more important than our, than our opinions. Verse 23, act like this, why? So that the world may know that you sent me. So let's have some fun. All right, I've been here 13 years and I've been in ministry 30 plus years. So um, I've seen a bunch of stuff that are preferences come and go. And what's, that's the thing about preferences is, is they come and go. They change as the culture changes. Again, essentials. Hold tightly. Non-essentials, you hold loosely because they're going to change. So depending on kind of where you are here, I just jotted down about five or six that I've seen through the years. Uh, And I'll just use the last 13 years. I know it was a big deal 13 years ago about what we wore to church. What we wore to church. As a matter of fact, some said that, you know what, uh, God, you know, one side would say God deserves our best in worship. If you were going to go and visit a king, would you not dress up? That's one side. The other side would say, you know what? Man looks on the outside. God looks on the inside. He looks at the heart. It doesn't matter what I wear. And both sides could get genuinely upset about the way the other people dressed. You're like, yeah, which one's right? Which one's right? Okay, just a bit, just total confession. I told you I broke a golf club last week. I tell you, when we first got here and I took off that jacket, we had some people leave because like that shows disrespect to God, which is certainly not the purpose. But is that a, you're like, which one's right? It's not a matter of right and wrong. It's a preference. And it doesn't rise up to the level of hurting the unity of the church. All right, here's one. Now this happened maybe two years after that one. All right, and this is, again, I'm just, I'm working my way forward. Um, there was a time, what, 10 years ago or so, when it was a big deal, and it even came into our church. It's like Harry Potter. If you go to see a Harry Potter movie, or if you let your kids go to see a Harry Potter movie, you are supporting witchcraft. You believe, they don't, don't laugh. I had somebody call out my wife on Facebook because our teenage sons at that time went to Harry Potter. And if you think Harry Potter supporting witchcraft, that's your right to have that opinion. But that is not a clear-cut thing. You're like, we don't like Harry Potter, but we love Lord of the Rings. Really? I mean, are you going to say, no, you can't do both. You can't do both. And other people are like, no, it's just, it's just something we're working through. They can tell the difference between bewitched, all right? Some of you uh, boomers, gen- you know, bewitched. Some of you all had a crush on that witch. Some of you had a crush on her, so, and then you won't let your kid go see Harry Potter. All right, the point is, that's not even the point. It's you as a parent, you can make that choice. Okay, let's get a little bit more recent. Okay, here is, uh, told you it'd be fun. All right, so uh, nowadays, kind of what nowadays, there's, there's like this whole, I didn't even know this until like two months ago, there's apparently like a whole Christian argument about yoga, about yoga. One side says, you know what, yoga has Buddhist roots, and, you know, if you're doing that, you're supporting Buddhism, and that's a super unchristian. And then the other side is like, no, I'm just trying to stretch a hamstring out, you know, I'm just trying to get limber. I'm just trying to, like, keep everything in the same, you know, together for a couple of more years. That's all it is. All right, don't don't even start on yoga pants. I'm just saying, my whole point is, my whole point is, which one's right? Doesn't matter. It's just a personal preference. It's a non-essential. And, uh, okay, let me just throw the red meat out into the, 
into the, into the arena. All right, okay, you really want to see this go crazy? Okay, and, and if, you, if you react, then you made my point. So be careful how you react. So if you really want to see two Christians get after it, just throw out the whole idea of what is the best way to educate your child. Just throw that out there. Watch a homeschool mama. Discuss that with a public school mama. And just sit back and eat the popcorn. I mean, just like, man, I hadn't seen. And then throw all of that in there into the private school. You're like, which one's right? Which one's right? Listen, that's a parent decision. And just FYI, we did all three at some point with our kids. At some point, we did all three. Now, we kind of laugh about that, but I would just say this. All things related to COVID. Wow. No amens on that one, okay? All things related to COVID. Nobody laughs then. Like, I'm masked. I'm non-masked. I'm vaccine. I'm non-vaccine. I'm whatever. Whatever. Can you imagine? Listen to me. Can, do you think our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are arguing with each other right now over whether you wear a mask or not. They're not doing that. Why? Because they understand the fact of what is essential and what is not essential. I know there's principles and wisdom and all that kind of stuff. I know that. And you want to take that and apply that as best you possibly can. But when the church loses its unity, here's what's happened. It's because something has become more important to them than Jesus and the gospel. Something has. It's just risen up. And I know some of you are going to write me an email and say, I got my rights. I have my rights. This is America. Man, I love America. Man, I stand for the national anthem. I mean, I, lo- I, I, got, I got red, white. I love red, white, and blue. All right? I love that. Got tennis shoes, red, white, and blue. I love that. But listen, I have my rights. I have my rights. We live in an awesome country, but we have the right to do some dumb stuff sometime. We have the right to be selfish if we want to, Right? I have the right to be dumb. I have the right to be self-centered. But as a Christ follower, what you've got to do is I thank God that we don't serve a Savior that hung on a cross and changed his mind and said, "Ah, I have my rights. I got my rights. My right is as a sinless, sinless son of God, what am I doing up on this cross? You ought to be up on this cross. But he didn't. And loved ones, let's be blunt about it. 1 John 3.16 says, you and I as legitimate Christ followers, you ought to be able to lay down your life for the brethren is what it said. It says, you know what? You lay down your life for the brothers. Other places like Philippians 2 just talks about, you know, or John 13, he says, just as I've done to you, served you, washed your feet, you do to other people. Just as I humble myself, you do the same thing to your brothers and sisters. Okay. Most of us won't have to lay down our life, but most of us won't even lay down our opinions for our brother's sake. We just won't. So, uh, okay, this one almost, this wisdom would say to save this one for a different time, but I'm not wise. So (laughs) politics, that's the second one. Preferences, politics. You're like, you're going to go there right now? Pray for me, all right? So here's, here's what it is. And we've talked about it before. We've talked about it before, and it goes in. Politics is super treacherous today, as we know. It is. I mean, it's like uh, I remember uh, like when I was in high school, like, I mean, how many holes can you step in, Bruce? Okay, uh, I shot a skunk. 
I shot a skunk, and I stunk for like three days. I stunk for three days. It was so pungent. I stunk for, I stunk for three days. That's like politics. You touch it, you touch it at all, and you're going to stink for a while. And so um, here are just some general principles about politics. Number one, I want you, and as a disciple and a follower of Jesus, you need to have your politics through the lens of a Christian worldview. All right, there's not a place, there's not a place that you are supposed to say, well, I'm just going to disengage from that. You should have a biblical, informed worldview about most stuff. As best you can, you're trying to do it through the lens of that in a political arena. Christian truth, Christian wisdom should permeate every area of life and politics from immigration to taxes to racial justice. But engage in such a way that shows that your primary commitment is not to a party and it's not to a platform, it is to a person, the person of Jesus. That that has got to be when people look at your Facebook feed, when they look at your Twitter thread, do they look up and say, you know what, he's about this party, she's about this platform, or do they sit there and go, you know what, they're about Jesus. Bottom line, they're about, they're about the gospel. Does your social media feed, do your arguments with your neighbors, do they understand that bottom line, you understand salvation does not come riding in on a donkey. It doesn't come riding in on an elephant. It actually is in a manger 2,000 years ago as a baby. Do they understand that? That's the question you got to ask. Um, now, <laughs> a little tepid applause, but we like whatever we can get, okay? So, so um, you're like, is that even possible? Is that even possible to have that? We've mentioned this thing twice before, but even as you look in Jesus' disciples, because you're like, man, is that just like pie in the sky? And yeah, everybody just get along and hold hands and sing kumbaya. Is it even possible? Well, I would say we have a classic example even in the 12 disciples. In the 12 disciples, you got two guys who are on opposite ends of the political spectrum. Okay, you got a guy named Matthew. He's a tax collector. He works for Rome. He works for Rome. I mean, he is a company man. That's who he is. Now, again, Rome was the people that had the Jews underneath their thumb. So it's not just he works for the government. He works for, like, the oppressive government who's actually coming and trying and, and has beat you down. That's Matthew. Then you got a guy named Simon, Simon the Zealot. If you look what a zealot was, a zealot was everything anti-government. Matthew's like, hey, change it from the inside. Simon is like, overthrow the whole thing. Bring the whole thing down. Now, did they probably have some intense conversations and some passionate fireside chats over their political differences? Probably so. Jesus might have even like smiled at them as they went at it about politics. But somewhere in there, they both understood that way above politics was the gospel and the kingdom and men and women and their souls. They understood that. And my politics is not going to be a hindrance to the gospel getting to my neighbors and to my classmates and to my teammates and to my coworkers, it's not, it's not going to get there. And so I just jotted down a couple of things here that might be helpful for pragmatic. And then we're just going to close with, uh, there's, a, there's a song we've done before that actually is a great prayer as well. But here's, like, I wanted to give you some handles. What are some things that you can think about before you push send, before you repeat that email, before you, you know, try to argue someone into heaven? Okay, what, 
What are some things you can do? Here's here are three questions. I should have put about five down, but I wasn't sure about the time. So number one, here's the first one. For, it's just, is it necessary? Is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to post, is what I'm about to tweet, is what I'm about to whatever, engage in, is it even necessary? And here's what somebody told me a while back, and I still can't follow it, but it helps at times. And it's like, you know what? You don't have to chime in on everything. You don't have to chime. Now, if you know me, I'm very strongly opinionated. Lori, again, has said, you know, listen, you're not always right, but you're always 100% sure. I mean, you're always sure you are right. And that's what most of you all are as well. But you got to ask at some point, is what I'm about to engage in, do I need to comment on this? Do I need to get in the middle of this? Proverbs says, uh, 29.11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, and the word picture there is whatever subject matter comes across his desk, whatever subject matter comes across her feed, boom, I'm going to tell you what I think every time, all the time, on time. I'm going to do it all the time. He says, you know what, if that's kind of your personality, if that's where you are, you make some foolish things. You make some foolish decisions. It says a wise man quietly holds it back. So next time you're in connect group, Next time you've got a family discussion, parents especially, you know why? Because I promise you, little scooter's listening half the time. And they're going to emulate what they hear you do, and they are going to put his top allegiance what they see you as dad or mom putting his top allegiance. Um, there's an old sitcom that actually is getting rerun. It's, it's over, and, over and over and over. But it's, I know it's on PC, but it is funny. Oh, it just is. It's called The Office, all right? And uh, don't, please, okay, okay, that's, that's, that's not an essential, that's not an essential, all right? Preference, personal preference. So um, the guy that plays um, Michael Scott is a guy named Steve Carell. And behind the scenes of film in The Office is um, this whole, obviously, staff dynamic and cast dynamic and uh, the girl, I can't remember her name, she played Mindy, I think, and she was writing a book, and she said this about Steve Carell. Not, not Michael Scott, because Michael Scott would say anything. But I'm just saying, but Steve Carell, uh, they would try to get him to say something bad about some other cast member, or just anybody who's popular, anybody at all. They're like, hey, come on over here. Hey, we're talking about such and such and such and such. And what do you think about them? And she said it was amazing. Every single time we tried to bait him, we tried to get him to come in and say something bad about somebody else. And every time he would just look at him and, and just smile. And if he needed to, he would just walk away. And he said what happened is among that cast, after a while, the grace that Steve Carell was showing these people that they were talking about started to permeate the entire culture of the cast. I can promise you, if that's you in your circle, in your sphere of influence, you will change the culture or you will be part of the culture. And a lot of it is based on, because now we talk about social media, but all the things in the Bible about our mouths can be connected to social media. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Is it necessary? Number two, is it honoring? Is it honoring? For uh, 12 chapters in the book of Romans, it's all about theology. Romans 1 to 11 is theology 
atonement, Jesus, all of that for, for the first 11 chapters, that's the book of Romans. We're going to preach through it one day, okay? One year. All right, we're going to preach through it one year. But for 11 chapters, it is the most theologically precise book in the Bible. But then you get to chapter 12, and from 12 to 16, it's all about, this one is about theology, and the last chapters are about practice. And right around chapter 12, about verse 8, he says this, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, take all that theology that you know, and when you put it into practice, part of putting that into practice is honoring each other. And he says, do so in a way that it's competitive. Hey, I honored her better than you did, or I honored them better than you did. Honor just means to give weight to. Because what happens now, this, is it not true? There's very little dialogue that goes on now. Very little dialogue. Just in our culture, there's very little dialogue. It's all who can scream louder? Who can make you look foolish quicker? And if you've got like the gift, the spiritual gift of sarcasm or whatever, man, you love that language. I love that language. But is it honoring? Is what I'm about to say, is it, is it honoring? Here, let me just, uh, one more quick rabbit chase slash rant for a second. Um, it's popular now for a lot of preachers to uh, be super rude. It is. It's super, it's super. I don't know if you notice that. I, I follow a lot of preachers. But preachers, it's almost like, it's really in vogue now if preachers are like shock jocks and are super rude. And the idea is, I can be rude because I'm righteous. I can be rude because I really strongly believe that. And then what somehow always gets worked into their excuses is, well, John the Baptist wasn't nice. John the Baptist, he called those, he called those religious leaders a, a bunch of vipers and snakes. And Jesus turned over the, Jesus turned over the whole table thing in the, in the temple and all that. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, correct. Uh, two things to remember. Uh, number one, you're not John the Baptist, bro. Okay, you're just not. You're not John the Baptist. You're not. John the Baptist actually was talking to unrepentant religious leaders. He wasn't talking to brothers and sisters. And you're also not Jesus. Why don't you try to actually kind of start doing what like the apostle Paul said to do. And then Ephesians 4 is speak the truth but do it in love. Why don't you try to actually obey what the apostle Peter says. It's like listen, let your speech be seasoned with salt and grace though. And so is it honoring? Here's what, here's what Jesus said. Um, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you uh, rant, if you put other preachers down, if you have an awesome argument, no, it's, it's if you have love for if you have love for one another. And so, question number three is: Will this this meaning what I'm about to say or post or whatever? Will this help or will this hinder the gospel? Will this help or will this hinder the gospel? Because let's let's. You know, in a hundred years, the only thing that's going to matter in a hundred years, masks, it's not going to matter about masks. We're not going to be arguing about in a hundred years. The thing that is going to matter is that I finish well with Jesus 
And did I take some people with me to heaven? That's the only thing that's going to matter. Your following is not going to matter. How many friends you have on Facebook is not going to matter. What is going to matter is, did we make the most of our time to leverage the gospel to Western North Carolina and beyond? The rest of it is basically scubulon. That's what it is. It is. And the question is, are we going to be unified around that one thing, that great thing, that awesome God who saved us? Or are we going to get over there in the weeds and be led astray by every talk radio program, every commentator, every person who has a thread. Every, which one are we going to do? Which one are you going to do? And so again, you're like, well, I can, you know, you take me off. Well, whatever, Jimmy Crackcorn. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> but here's the, in all seriousness, um, you can't change other people. You can't change other people. All you can do is start where you are. And there's a song we've done a few times before. It's called Pour Me Out. And actually, I hadn't really ever really liked it all that much until I looked at the words and how they go for this song. Um, It says this. It says, make me a vessel of your peace. Where there is war, let fighting cease. All that divides us, come reconcile us. Make me a vessel of your peace. Make me a vessel of your love. Where there is hatred, break it up. All creeds and colors, bind us together. Make me a vessel of your love. Again. We're not talking about easy believism. We're not talking about compromise. We're going to hold the essentials tighter than we ever have. All right, bulldogs, we're going to hold that so tight. All about the gospel, all about the Jesus, all about Jesus, all about scripture, hold that tightly. When it comes to these things, we can argue about them, we can talk about them, but we're not going to put those on the same level as this. 